Welcome to our special Money in Esports series on Sports Geek. In this episode, I chat with Rob O'Gorman from Tennis Australia about the very successful Fortnite Summer Smash. Welcome to Sports Geek, the podcast built for sports digital and sports business professionals. And now, here's your host who's about to take down the Baron, Sean Callanan. Thanks, DJ Joel. My name is Sean Callanan. You can find me on all social media platforms at Sean Callanan um, and also via both of my websites, sportsgeekhq.com, where Sports Geek Podcast is hosted, and also this specific esports series on Sports Geek, I should say, sgesports.com. Um, and also, as always, you can follow and meet my esports team, Gravitas, um, at gravitas.gg. Um, we'll actually be at Melbourne Olympic Park, that the site of the Australian Open, that I do chat to Robbo Gorman in this episode. This chat was hosted at the Money in Esports event in Sydney on August 9. Rob and I chat about the very successful Fortnite Summer Smash that took place at Margaret Court Arena at the Australian Open uh, at the current, uh, this year's Australian Open. Melbourne Esports Open will be held at the same venue across Rod Lave Arena, Margaret Court Arena and Melbourne Arena. We'd love to see you there. If you're going to Melbourne Esports Open, please let me know. Um, we are hosting a guided tour explaining the world of esports and gaming uh, to people attending. So if you're interested in the world of esports and trying to figure out what it is, you're more than welcome to come along to the Melbourne Esports Open. There'll be a lot on offer. Um, but if you want to learn a little bit more and get a guided tour from myself and my GM of esports, Brandon Defina, who is a former pro player, uh, please go to sgesports.com slash tour to book in your spot. They will be limited. Um, we will not be taking a lot of people around. We don't want to have a big group, but we'll be able to explain to you the different titles, the different audiences, and how the different leagues work. Uh, so if you're interested, go to sgesports.com slash tour. Now, please enjoy my chat with Rob O'Gorman from Tennis Australia. And I'm going to invite Rob, uh, Rob O'Gorman from Tennis Australia. Can you please welcome Rob to the stage? Welcome. Take a seat. Thank you. Um, your mic should be on. Let's just talk into it and we'll see what it is. G'day. Hello. There we go. Um, first of all, what's your, what's your role at tennis? Yeah, so I'm a manager of uh, production, so probably in the past more video and event production, but uh, in the last uh, 12, 18 months we've uh, made a distinct focus to um, understand and make an entry into the esports and innovation and uh, video gaming space, which is, uh, yeah, my focus sort of going forward. So I wanted to talk about the Fortnite Summer Smash if I haven't broken the clicker, we should get an impression of what it uh, what it looked like. Uh, so that's it. So when when did you make the announcement? Like how quick? Like so, the Aussie Open's on in January, and I know I, you know, became an esports owner in November. Yeah. Brandon, my GM, is putting together a League of Legends team, and then he, halfway, you know, maybe mid, nearly late November, he says we need to get Fortnite stars. There's going to be a tournament in Australian Open, like. 
which is six weeks out. So yeah, so we uh, we certainly didn't intend to announce so late. That was uh, we had to get um, yeah, just all of us on the same page. You know, yep. we had to prove almost to each other. Epic Games, ourselves, the guys from ASL that did a, a brilliant job, um, and ultimately. Fortnite's very new in a, com- in a competitive gaming space. Yep. So, and never been done before on this scale in Australia. So, we had to um, do a full scale rehearsal um, in, uh, in ESL Studios in early January. Okay. Um, ultimately, because we all wanted to make sure it was going to work. So, uh, that's the complexity, and it's improved even with the World Cup just gone. Yeah. So, before even we get into the whys and wherefores, mm. just logistically. So, this weekend, Australia's going Where's the other video? Is the other video after this one? Yeah. We can start with this. All right. right. So, because we wanted to show the cool bump in. Um, But let's talk about these guys after this video. So this weekend, Australia is getting its first ever Fortnite tournament. There's a $400,000 tournament to take her money, and then there's another tournament, it's a duo's $100,000 for charity. You're a professional Fortnite player. There's $100,000 for money. Oh my god. Put you down and shut up the line. So you wouldn't know from that that there's a major tennis tournament happening around that. Um, how did those? How did the discussions go, or how did you even get started in? Hey, we want to have a Fortnite tournament in the middle of the Aussie Open. Yeah, so we um, uh, over a number of years with the Open, it's grown so much, and we've introduced uh, much more beyond sports. So uh, our business likes to talk, talk about it as the biggest sporting and entertainment event 
globally in January. And we've introduced, uh, so music essentially and new acts. Uh, we have a whole music stage that has, it used to be one concert, it's now 15 across the fortnight. So um, much like that, in the same vein, we have a whole kids ballpark area, we have a whole food focus, different restaurants on site. Um, we almost went into the esports actually two or three years ago, but it didn't eventuate. Yep. Uh, it was more probably a corporate, maybe more like MEO. Um, it didn't eventuate, it just didn't get off the ground. So, and in the last 12 months, um, we have opportunity the second week of the Open. Uh, it's always been our challenge to drive new audience uh, and in different ways. The tennis drops off, we have other stadiums uh, available, um, and this year we forced the issue, uh, particularly with Margaret Cordarina. And um, we're able to, I suppose, convince everyone. They like to have the courts available just in case for whatever reasons, but we made a decision this year um, to uh, the end of the Thursday night before the finals weekend, um, last ball hit, we had 36 hours to get to um, the arena transformed from a tennis court into a... uh, which is what it started like this. So the last ball was hit late Thursday night and on Saturday morning we had 500 players coming through for qualifying events. Um, whole range of comp- complexities to work through. We surround the court with LED just for the tennis. Unfortunately, we couldn't just roll everything out. We had to actually de-rig all of that, uh, rebuild it uh, overnight, cover the court because even though we're just playing uh, eSports on the court, we can't damage the court. So, uh, And we were really adamant we wanted to do it 360 360 degrees around uh, the stadium. We had a vision to make it different. Um, We had uh, some great... uh, A member of my team that is very much in this space, has been for a lot longer than I, but his vision was to um, uh, have the cube... This cube has never been actually raised or constructed because the roof opens, obviously, so when the tennis is on. Uh, so we had to um, – uh, and this arena is actually not designed to uh, put a um, jib out there on the court because uh, they didn't design that when they built it. So even behind, underneath this arena, we had to um, – some of the challenges internally, uh, let alone explaining what esports is, what, it, what are we actually doing. Uh, we get to – we had to move the anti-doping portable, you know, to a whole new different location because okay. everything is built for the Australian Open. So we had to uh, – we hit a few hurdles, but um, ultimately, uh, again, with the team from ESL who gave them the challenge, hey, you've got to throw out 100 computers, make sure they work. Uh, we don't want anything to not um, – they uh, really came to the party and, um, yeah, that's how we sort of – But it's effectively a 72-hour window of, of we've got a spot here where there's no tennis being played – um, how can we bring in a new audience? Because you had a specific ticket for yep. for this, yeah. Um, where you could come in because the game started at ten, but tennis didn't open like on the last day, on the Sunday, didn't open until two. That's right. So they're the opportunities we've always identified. We've done other things. So one of our other arenas, Melbourne Arena, has hosted an NBL game for the last two years in week two. Um, again, it brings a whole new uh, demographic. Um, we're all about. Obviously, trying to grow the overall audience to the to the event across the fortnight. Uh, we think of the Australian Open now as almost a three week event because we do a number of lead in events as well. Um, but it is it's maximising the facility um, and uh, as you said, like music uh, that has grown uh, to bring in people come to the tennis just to watch the music. Uh, we saw this demographic; everyone's been talking about it, um, and we saw. Uh, 
esports as an entertainment space, and uh, um, we're able to. Um, yeah, we were we were adamant that it's the right uh, strategy. And so, combination of uh, gaming, esports, and and influencers was probably a good way of describing the Fortnite Summer Summer Smash. Um, the day you know, so you had the qualifiers on Saturday. You had five hundred people playing games to qualify, and then on. On the Sunday, you had, I guess, the, the the final of the of the hundred that made the final, and then you had a, a effectively like a pro am. If you're talking about a, you know, you had a duos with uh, with streamers and 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 celebrities. How important was, I guess, getting those those streamers or and or celebrities involved to sort of just get the message out. Yeah, I think um, upon reflection, even more so than we thought going in. Um, okay. I think that competent uh, the combination of. Yeah, the competitive component. Um, uh, again, we had to agree on the format, um, which was a lot of discussion. Because um, that's the thing. There's no there's no official format. No, that's like, right. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, and that's imagine saying, oh, we're going to play play a game of cricket, but uh, has anyone come up with the rules yet? Like that's effectively, you know, to say, oh, we're going to have six games. We're going to award points if you get the victory royale, and we're going to report points if you get a kill, or or whatever it was. You had to come up with that as well in in partnership with Epic. Yeah, and the more and more we discussed the parallels and where we liked um, the the product and the format was the parallels to tennis. So yeah, we had a hundred players down to one in uh, in each fortnight round. Um, obviously, tennis is the same with 128 all the way down to one. Um, we we definitely wanted to probably make the competitive component originally more with more global players. We uh, ended up uh, focusing on driving, uh, identifying great Australian talent and building out those. Uh, but we used the Pro-Am, uh, obviously, to bring in content creators, influencers. And, a- again, you... You could see there the, the impact, uh, the reaction on the, on the audience's faces when they saw the likes of Lachlan, uh, Laserbeam, um, Loser Fruit. They were, uh, it blew the whole business's minds in terms of, it brought it to life uh, in terms of these are the stars that these kids aspire to be. Yep. Uh, they watch them all the time and seeing them in the flesh was no different to seeing Roger Federer or Rafa Nadal walking out. It would have been court. funny being in a Tennis Australia meeting and, you know, a whip coming into the uh, Aussie Open and you're there with all other executives. Yeah, yeah we've got loser fruit on board um, and someone just going, who's, who's loser? Mr. Fresh Asian signed up. He's one of the best. And again, in-game names. Uh, um, how, did, how did you get and you know uh tennis how did you get to the partnership of tennis and epic how did that alignment come about yeah it really kicked off with uh, again conversations and uh from the outset though we uh determined you can identify pretty quick if you've got a collective um or shared uh alignment i think yep. and from the outset we um both had big ambition to make a spectacle, to make uh, a significant uh, splash in terms of we didn't want to do it half-hearted if we weren't going to, and they were um, supportive of that. We had to convince them that we were the right partner as well. Um, even internally, they um, there was a lot of support, but obviously they, um, while well, they partnered with tennis as well, but we were able to um, really align. And our brands fit in terms of being playful, uh, being uh, also premium, but also um, really complementing. We also supported from the outset a vision on a um, all of our customers, let's call it, on having a healthy balance uh, yeah. around whether it's playing tennis, whether it's playing gaming, but also doing 
the right thing, um, you know, and, you know, sending the right education message as well. Um, so we, uh, there was a lot of, um, yeah, support from that end, which was great. And so what were other, I mean, you had the, the two-day event. What were other, I guess, parts that Fortnite were integrated in, the Fortnite, different type one, uh, of the Australian Open? Like how, how was it, uh, you know, integrated and, and sort of promoted throughout the two weeks? Yeah, so we, again, with the audience coming through, we, uh, the site has grown for the Australian Open immensely over uh, a number of years, even next year we go further. But I mean, I, I live in Richmond <laughs> and I joke that I'm going to one day just walk out the front door and the tennis is going to be there. Like, the footprint just keeps growing. Like, yeah. you know, Melbourne Olympic Park is where it started and now it pretty much almost gets all the way to Flinders Street Station with Birang Ma. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's just like it does take over Melbourne for, for two weeks. Yeah, it does, but it requires different aspects of to then not just have the same things. So I think what we were able to, obviously, for the two weeks, we had a, uh, yeah, uh, an activation, let's call it, in our Garden Square precinct where... Uh, any anyone could play. Originally, we we're going to probably use that maybe as a qualifying into the final. Didn't eventuate. It was more probably just a promotional vehicle in the end to um, illustrate uh, a presence of uh, gaming and cater to. Again, the queues there were significant all across the two weeks, which was great. Um, beyond that, though, we were we worked with Epic around um, a couple of different things. Around a, uh, they built a tennis character, Volley Girl, and and released tennis related items within in game uh, exclusively during the Australian Open. So all of those aspects were really important to us. That um, it wasn't just a one off uh, event itself, um, but more broadly, it was also the relationships we wanted to build with players, uh, influencers, creators, because that's the world we've come from in terms of when we talk about uh, the Australian Open. It doesn't happen without the 256 main draw players from around the world. So they're looked after from the moment all year round, essentially. Um, So we took the same approach around ensuring uh, we could get some international players out and um but also then work with the uh domestic players to ensure their experience was um was great for them and that they got um content opportunities for their own channels because we recognize that's what they're seeking so this sunday so i went i went to the sunday and it was it was like a circus like the the crowd definitely was you know younger uh you know there was parents with kids and again that probably net those kids had never been to Australian Open, so it's a it's an entree to this bigger world that you guys guys have. The format of the Sunday was the the, the professional uh, knockout of the six games, hundred Victor Royale, and then after that you had the pro am uh, duos, which you know if you're a golf uh, fan, it's always the other way around. You do the pro am to warm everyone up. Um, you get footballers and celebrities to play in the pro am, and then the real you know the real stuff begins on the you know Thursday, Friday, uh, Saturday, whereas you know, it was flipped around the other way. Do you think, um, you know, I watched the, the professional stuff and then, you know, watched, watched a bit. To me, again, not don't have the data. It looked like the fans were super into the competitive stuff and less so into, you know, they were still screaming like hell at particular streamers, yeah. but they weren't as engaged when the streamer celebrity duo type thing happened. Was that a – did you see that in the numbers and yeah, at the event? Yeah, I think you um – we it's that balance between I think the broadcast viewers versus your your on-site um, audience as well or the, the ticket holders and we never not necessarily get a ride with tennis either I think you can often 
cater to one, you never get the balance necessarily right. But um, I think for year one, the education piece and the entertainment piece was critical yep. for us. I think if we did, if we just ran a competitive component, you'd get. Um, you're right. The the engagement was was huge around when it got down to the crux. Obviously, with with more prize money in the line on the competitive component, but um, there were some time constraints and orders we had to we had to get out uh, to run another event a couple of hours after as well for the public coming in to watch the Aussie Open only a couple of hours after. So there was um, it was just a, a call we had to make, and I don't know whether we'd do the same. I'd, I'd be uh, I think the the spectacle that. Did mean we actually ended on a high yeah. um, with with the colour and movement. It was almost like a uh, boxing ring. It sort of felt like with uh, with that sort of vibe, but um, with people and that every year. But that spectacle probably enabled us to to finish on a high. But it's that balance. And so you know, you did mention like again, I'm com- commenting on the in arena experience, um, but you're also broadcasting it. You've got an operation, you know, a broadcast background. What's the difference between running a, a, a tennis broadcast event and an esports broadcast event? It's um, it's longer. <laughs> tennis does go longer, but I think um, in the sense that the the beauty of it is that uh, I think there's actually opportunities, like someone mentioned before, to add value to the coverage going forward. Obviously, we went from scratch just to get the overall event up and running but I think going forward the downtime between the actual rounds is yep. where value can come I mean Ben's in the audience will hear from later was one of our casters and I echo that f- thought I think the esports casters are a thousand times better than traditional sports commentators because their uh, knowledge and um, ability to fill on the fly is, is extraordinary so that was my uh, one reflection coming in from not having um, the as much esports sort of broadcast knowledge, but I think uh, I think there's just opportunities to create more pace because I think that currently the particularly with um, when they do play is that um, there's so many layers that you can probably unwrap and, and add to it now, and that's the opportunity. And then the other thing is, so the games themselves were broadcast on your the Australian Open Twitch channel, um, and here you are trying to fit your schedule into the schedule of the tournament and cool we've got 72 hours of Margaret Court Arena but then the other bit the insight was oh what's actually happening on the rest of the world in the esports world when we're running it yeah so there's obviously it was another League of Legends event I think at the same time in another region which uh, probably overlapped to around part and certainly uh, um, that's the global picture that I think the whole industry can certainly look at as we going forward but that's the battle between obviously what traditional sports do well, they elect to go up against each other or they program it differently, which uh, obviously with tennis uh, up against sort of the big bash and is a, it's an ongoing discussion. But, um, yeah, all those – that's a learning for us to ensure that um, uh, we're not up against uh, another significant event at the same time. Um, apparently there was almost a late inclusion to the, uh, the pro-am uh, do you want to tell us a little bit of a little bit about that? Yeah, well, we were running, setting up, and running the qualifying late into the Saturday night, heading into the final, and um, we uh, the women's final was on at the same time, and um, Naomi Osaka, who was uh, 
ultimately went on to win the title, had indicated earlier in the week that um, she is a fortnight player. Uh, and was um, so we were certainly hoping that she would take the title because I think there was, a, there was an indication we could make, uh, really probably create that true intersection, I think, between our event and, and the gaming uh, event that we were running with uh, the women's champion uh, being a part of it. It didn't eventuate. She had to go off and do a trophy shoot or fly back to her next uh, event. But I think they're the opportunities and crossovers that are really beneficial if um, uh, we're able to get, obviously, Nick uh, Kyrgios there. To uh, He was first in once we announced it but um, uh, and was a great part of it as well. But I think that... Uh, uh, she didn't didn't in the end, but um, hopefully next year we can get more of those that are around because we don't know see know who's going to be there until uh, their uh, results play but out. But there's such a crossover. I think there was an article I shared recently of ESPN of how many athletes do game play different games, um, and so yeah, it would be it would have been the ultimate crossover. Just uh, walk off the court and then pick up the controller and away she goes. Yeah, it would have been uh, especially we had teams from yeah China, Japan, Korea as well. So I think. Again, that uh, you mentioned with obviously the Fortnite World Cup, the recent winner cutting over to that that mainstream. That I think the more of that that occurs, and you get the likes of Osaka or anyone that has an interest, can only benefit the overall esports or audience. Uh, beneficial for brands because I think you underplay the the education piece on uh, uh, what it is. Um, is is really important to so any way that anyone can uh, connect with an existing athlete uh, that they know is uh, is certainly beneficial, especially when you're in yeah boardrooms trying to justify. There's a whole range of people that you're trying to convince that this is the right direction. So one of the conversations when a brand or a sponsor or someone's trying to get into esports and you're talking to you know a board, you know old white guys that don't understand gaming. They, you know, and again, we're looking at uh, the horrific events of last week back in the US of violence and trying to tenuously link that to games. Um, what was the conversation at, at tennis around, well, we're getting into esports. Um, are we worried about the, the violence factor? I mean, Fortnite, I think, has done a terrific job to take gaming mainstream. Um, you go to an NBA arena and you're seeing kids dancing because they're playing that game. But in between the dancing and the flossing and all those sort of things, they're still shooting other players and it's a battle royale. Um, it does it in a cartoon stylized type manner. I mean, I grew up watching Wiley Coyote getting his head shot off every week yeah. uh, in, a, in a cartoon and I came out okay. What were the conversations at tennis around, you know, we're getting into esports and there's this element that potentially some of the brands might not want to be a part of? Yeah, I think that's the key is the... Uh, really having that discussion around how present it is across all, all media, all types of media. And I think trying to debunk the theory that gaming itself and exclusively uh, promotes that association, I think um, you have those discussions. And uh, what we really spoke about and took the view of is that, particularly with events, and as you could see, one of the biggest uh, audience sort of groups were kids with their parents. So we certainly form the belief that the education uh, piece enables the discussion to occur in in a major event space as opposed to, you know, them playing themselves alone and uh, just online and away from necessarily the the broader view. So I think um, that's where we took in terms of continually, uh, and I think some of our customer insights from the event were the biggest beneficiaries were the parents in attendance because they got a greater understanding of what 
their kids uh, enjoy, uh, how, how they can see it come to life in a great social sense as well. And I think um, that can only promote uh, a greater lesson on education around a healthy balance and understanding the rules and yep. what's good, what's not. Um, and to actually bring it out in the open and uh, really promote that social part. Yeah, because that is a tough bit pe- for parents because I know parents that say they don't want their kids playing Fortnite, mm-hmm. but if every kid in the school is playing Fortnite, then you're isolating your, your kid because they're not part of that scene. Yeah. And so understanding that and how important it is from a social behaviour and connectivity, uh, uh, you know, growing up, it's really important. Yeah. I've got two young kids myself and they're not at this stage yet, but I think that... Uh, allowed the discussion to occur around, um, I definitely believe that events like this can only uh, further demystify gaming and, and bring it out into the open because and focusing on uh, the, the competitive side and making it exciting and the atmosphere and the, um, as you said, yeah, the, the, the reaction from the kids as they, you could hear some of it as well. It is just like going uh, to any other sporting event itself. So I think that is a really uh, good experience for them and we should continually promote it. And so what did you, you, you talked about customer insights before, what did you learn about the audience, the people that turned up specifically for uh, for this Fortnite Summer Smash? Yeah, naturally Fortnite as it does skewed to a, to a younger age bracket, so we, that um, younger group coming with their parents was was a, was an insight. We certainly were able to learn more, which still played well into our, uh, our overall strategy around uh, we had a sort of $5 kids ticket for the Australian Open itself across the whole two weeks. So for us, it is certainly around building entertainment and content that uh, is appealing to that demographic as well as um, ensuring that they're uh, – because they're the – ticket holders or buyers of, of sort of the, the open in, in, in the next sort of 10 plus years. So yep. I think getting um, them, that being their own, only Australian Open experiences we're, we're very comfortable with. Um, as, as I said, we, we cater for a lot of other groups and, and age brackets with different offerings. And um, if we can uh, have them have a pos- positive experience, then uh, that's certainly what we were trying to aspire to. So you would have done a lot of testing and learning, you know, expanding the music component, sports film festivals, doing different pieces, doing NBL. What are some of the things you took away that you think you might do better or improve on if you were to go down the path of doing it again or expanding what you're doing in the esports space? Yeah, well, announce earlier would be would be one. I think we've uh, hopefully proved uh, that it's um, that it's worthwhile. Uh, the the overall format and flow um, and just general build-up, obviously, the uh, as everyone has spoken about today, how you build out um, the characters and, and the storylines that are uh, behind those uh, influences or players within the within the sport itself would uh, would be something we, we just need to create that lead-in to ensure. And uh, overall, we'd love to obviously... Um, yeah, connect it to the broader glo- other global events that are occurring at the time. Or, but we think we've got a strong platform to um, host uh, host a large-scale sort of global competitive gaming format. So, um, yeah, it's certainly an avenue we want to um, only grow on because we think, the, uh, as everyone is aware, the audience will grow uh, and um, it sort of complements uh, and we need to be talking to that audience uh, in, in the manner that they understand. But even like you know, being its first year, it's even it's just hard to go. How many people are turning out? How engaged they're going to be? You know, turning up there on the Sunday and there's 
you know, people everywhere yeah. and still parts of like the precinct weren't opened up and yep. just like simple things like, oh, we're going to have, they're going to be there, they're going to want to buy merch, they're going to yep. want to buy, buy food and all of those kind of things is something you just learn, you know, how can we better activate around the event and all those kind of things. Because if you would have been selling, you know, Fortnite T-shirts, you would have sold a truckload. Yeah, yeah. And the... Uh, it all came up in the in the planning. It, it, it got to a point of prioritising and, and making the show and the spectacle in arena as, as strong as possible. Uh, but they're all the things that um, are logical in terms of where the, the growth can come from. I think what it did give us was historically that Sunday and that finals, particularly the Sunday is quite, uh, it's such an action-packed first week. The first four days you get through the Australian Open and, um, you know, half the field's gone um, and you don't know where to look. But once you get to the final, obviously it's down to only one game left. It gave energy to that final Sunday that we'd never had before and that really permeated across uh, the precinct and um, that was a particularly, uh, even anecdotally, to enable, um, you know, our whole business to bring in all the key execs that uh, roll in for the finals, every one of them rolled down the corridor to look what uh, what was happening and because and they could obviously hear it. And that energy that was across the site, particularly with a youthful audience, gave our event and our uh, a whole new different perspective, which was really healthy. Uh, we talked about in the previous panel around participants to fans. Um, I think uh, you were telling me before about... Um, actually almost seeing that in action with fans turning up with their controllers. Like why, why were people turning up with their own controllers? Well, there was the uh, – we normally see players – or sorry, fans turn up with the tennis balls and lean over the, um, lean over the barriers to get them signed. But the fans at this event were bringing their controllers to get signed by the players themselves and leaning over. So it was uh, – yeah, not, just you don't expect that going in. You don't, uh, you don't know what – uh, to look for, but that was certainly one that, uh, yeah, surprised us, but in a great way. That's just, uh, you know, we had so many analogies, I think, as we unpacked what we needed to deliver, the parallels to tennis around singles and doubles, solos and duos, um, having, you know, the, the PC or consoles, uh, peripherals, you know, just like rackets and strings and balls and needing a net, all the parallels to running our event, which we're, is in our nature and our core, we just had to do with different technology. But, yeah, uh, the, the bit that, you know, I think having those moments of you, it's almost like you know that that kid is now a fan. Yeah. Like they've gone from being a gamer and they're playing in the same, you know, and that's the business you're in mm-hmm. in tennis. Like how do we get them into the precinct? How do we get them to watch a game, whether it's watching uh, Nick Kyrgios or Ash Barty or Dylan Alcott, yep. like, and that's how they become a fan. Like to be able to see that um, and go, yep, I'm locked in, and whether that kid is now going to follow Mr. Fresh Asian everywhere yeah. because of that or, you know, follow that sport in a harder manner, it's yeah, really important. Yeah, well, we underestimated, I think, um, just that passion that uh, the audience exhibited. We had, um, yeah, Laser Beam, I think, took off his own accord uh, to just sit in the stands and try and watch and very quickly he was mobbed straight away and the whole crowd just flocked to him and suddenly we had a, a different scenario on our hands in terms of, uh, yeah, having to move these stars around the precinct very quickly but... As you saw, they were in the galleys and just following them everywhere and not letting them uh, just like, uh, yeah, again, Nadal and Serena um, get followed from, from practice court to wherever they are going next. So it was, uh, yeah, it was really exciting, I think, to see and that, uh, that stuff you can't necessarily plan for. 
New workshops on audience, content, distribution, valuation, and pitch following SportsGeek's Digital to Dollars process. Go to digitaltodollars.com. Thanks again to Robo Gorman. You can go check out this episode at sportsgeekhq.com slash 245 or go to sgesports.com. If you are a new listener from the Money in Esports series, please be aware that Sports Geek is a regular podcast. Over 240 episodes now with a bunch of different guests, I should say, across the world of sports, technology, digital and marketing. Um, with a few esports guests sprinkled in as well. So we'd love for you to come on board. Search for Sports Geek in the podcast platforms uh, that you use. Um, until next time, um, hopefully we'll see you at MEO. But until then, you've been listening to the Money in Sport esports series brought to you by Sports Geek. My name is Sean Callanan. Look forward to you speaking to you again tomorrow when we talk about the McLaren Shadow Project. Join Sports Geek Nation access to exclusive Slack and Facebook groups with regular Q&A sessions with Sean Callanan. Go to sportsgeeknation.com to join. Need help with your digital rate card? Not sure how to price your assets? Is there a disconnect between digital and commercial? That is where Sean works best in digital divorce counselor mode. Book a time for a call with Sean to discuss the Sports Geek process. Go to sportsgeekhq.com slash phone call. Go to sportsgeekhq.com for more sports digital marketing resources.